It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. just am trying to find words that are a little unique because I have a tendency to say a similar thing. It just ends up being the case with a lot of the guests on the show, which is that I spend time getting to know someone before clicking record and a whole conversation evolves. And it feels like today's guest, Linda and I have been on quite a journey because we had some tech challenges to overcome. And I don't know about you, Linda, but I feel like When you resolve a challenge like that, it just brings you so much closer to somebody. It's like, we did it. We overcame this mountain we are climbing. And I feel so grateful for that. As I mentioned to you, Linda, I have gone through all sorts of tech challenges on this show. And that doesn't bring me any distress. I notice sometimes it brings the guest distress and maybe they're... Actually, I'd love to hear from you since you are so well-trained, literally, in your profession with well-being, I imagine that you have the self-awareness to express your feelings. I'm curious what came up for you when we were going through tech challenges. What was it? Stress? Was it fear? Was it concern? What were you experiencing through that time? What a great starting point, Whitney. It was all of the above. Absolutely. For a woman in tech or for someone who's got like an app and everything. I said, oh my gosh, what the settings? And now there's three different settings. Where are these settings? Are they hidden somewhere? Like what is happening? And honestly, I was frozen before. Like I was just so cold. It's just, it's cold in New York. It's cold in my apartment. So all these layers on. And now that I've gone through this whole process of solving tech challenges, my gosh, I'm sweating. Wash. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting how that can manifest in our bodies. And what do you think was making you sweat? Was it bringing up, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I want to ask, what is it that makes that uncomfortable or like physically a shift in your body? And I think in full transparency, it's that there's the, the voice in my head that tells me I should know. So my gosh, you should know this, Linda. Are you literally the only 41 year old? in the world, who doesn't know how to do settings. And then this accident, this argument starts. My gosh, if you could see inside my head. And it's like, no, no, hang on. We didn't just said there's three different types of settings. So we'll just, just calm down. Okay. And she's obviously very patient and very good at what she does. And she's going to talk you through it. So it's fine. But then there's the other voice that's eye rolling, almost going, here we go again. Come on. Then it's the other chatter. It's you have so much to do right now. Do you have any idea? Have you looked at that to-do list? No, because you've pushed it over to the side. So it's this whole combination of things. That, that's super helpful to hear and interesting to me because I really enjoy hearing about other people's experiences and how they process things. And I'm so grateful that you articulated it that way because I think it's a great example of not really knowing how things manifest for other people. It's so relative, each of our experiences, even though you and I are here together, virtually, not physically, we're across the country from one another. We're just meeting for the first time. Maybe there's like a social pressure. I've noticed a lot with guests on the show, almost like, I'm going to use this lightly, but a like a lowercase t trauma, as it's often referred to in psychology, where it's bringing in a past experience, period, and thinking what if this person on the other side is not going to accept me? What if they're not going to be patient with me? And as you were saying, I should know better. And maybe coming up this feeling of I wasn't prepared and all of that. And no matter how hard I may try to convey to you, no, it's okay. We're in this together. We can slow down and be patient. There might be a feeling that's not true or based on like past experiences of people not being patient or not being okay with you figuring something out. Is that part of it too? Here we go. (laughs) Let's dig a little deeper here. I think part of it, I don't think, I know part of it is that husband is such a whiz 
on laptops and would have everything sorted in two seconds. And I'd be over in the corner crying, like again, sweating profusely in fetal position, just crying over settings, that S word, settings. (laughs) It's strange, right? The logical thing is that what is the worst thing that's going to happen here? The, The worst thing is that I'll actually start crying or you might say to me, Linda, I don't think this is going to be a good conversation today. We might never speak again. That's the worst thing in the world, I think. And then is that really so bad? That's something I've been toying with too, is sometimes we're not connected to what the worst thing is. And our that's what it feels like, a reaction that's not very logical. It's like deep in in the body. And that's why I brought up the word trauma is because I I wonder if it's connected to poor experiences in the past, projecting them onto the present. And what a beautiful reminder that our past experiences do not dictate the present and that things can be different. And it's could be actually a healing reminder that no, it is okay. Sometimes you're not going to get yelled at. You're not going to get rejected. And there are people that are really accepting. This is something I've been thinking a lot about in my life. And I'm grateful to explore it with you right from the get-go. I love this so much. You know what you've just reminded me of is the patience part of it. I was a history teacher for 15 years and I had and I would still have so much patience with any person that I'm working with, right? Like any young person that I was teaching history with. My gosh, if I could have applied that patience to myself, who knows where I'd be today. But it's incredible what we notice in that process because I'll put myself in the student's situation. I'll be like, if I wanted my teacher, if I knew my teacher wanted me to write an essay, what would I want from them? I would want compassion. I'd want understanding. I would want guidance. I'd want instructions. I would want this very clearly laid out detailed plan. And now instead of making that assumption, I'll check in with someone. What do you need from me right now? And, and sometimes it's nothing. I can figure this out. Fantastic. Great. So I think there's different layers to that piece, right? Absolutely. And there's also the side on the other end for me. And I think this is part of what makes this really interesting. I jump into a mode of overhelping sometimes. And something that I'm practicing is letting the other person let me know when they need help when they want help versus assuming it. And I get like this panicked feeling on my end of, oh my gosh, like they, I feel patient, but maybe they don't feel patient. So let me help them so that, how do I even put it? I think it's similar to what you were saying, where it's assuming that somebody wants something or needs something instead of asking them. And how powerful it is to ask. Right, isn't it? I think for me, I don't ask because I'm afraid they won't, no, I think some lowercase trauma around people getting frustrated. In general, people don't like it when I ask questions. I've That's been part of my life story because I'm a big question asker. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with questions. Have you ever noticed this? Or is this part of your experience at all? It's part of my experience on both sides of the fence as a coach a lot of my clients, when we start to get, know some coaches who surface coaching, okay, I do that deeper level coaching. I want to know, like what you mentioned at the start, I want to know what's going on, what's under there. It's because it's not your boss. We all know it's not your boss. There's something else there that is something about us. And asking those really powerful questions, I've seen my clients be uncomfortable. I've seen, heard them say to me, oh my gosh, and will you ever stop asking questions? And it's no because we're getting places with this. If you don't want to go there, absolutely fine. And then being asked certain questions myself can make me very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Sometimes it's not even a question, it can be a comment because it's the meaning, it's all ourselves, right? It's that meaning that I place on the comment or on the question and the story that I start telling myself about that. The meaning is such a great way to phrase it in the story, like you said. And each of us have our own meanings and stories. And notice about myself, if I think too much about that, socializing feels incredibly challenging. Like, how can we possibly communicate with people if everybody's walking around with different stories and meanings and definitions and feelings? It's amazing that two people can 
get along and understand. And even I believe you said this before we started recording, but getting frustrated with each other over device usage, like something really basic like that. Those moments of perhaps like self-righteousness or you're doing this and but I'm doing that. And just these little like arguments we get into small things that makes a little bit more sense to me versus when we get along. It's almost like an absolute amazing achievement for people to get along and understand one another because everybody's looking at the world a little bit differently. Maybe questions help us get there. Like maybe that's the avenue to understand each other is to ask questions. We can all ask questions. It's the type of question that we ask. It's a huge difference between asking why, right? Because that usually Yes, it can be used to find purpose and meaning and everything else. And usually when we ask, oh, you know, Linda, why were you not able to do that? Why were you not ready for it, Whitney? And why did you not know where your settings were? And the justifications, the excuses come up in just insurmountable numbers, right? Whereas when we ask ourselves and when we ask other people better questions, like how or what or when you know, something like that's more solution focused or action orientated, and gosh, my mind is just overflowing now with examples of these questions and of times when I have completely distorted the meaning about something in my head. And Gosh, Linda, you're very good at that. <laughs> it's one of my strengths. <laughs> and this leads into one of your strengths and not in a joking sense like that might have been, but your expertise in a lot of ways is helping people make the small changes. In fact, you put it as the bite-sized ways to transform your life and how you can create huge transformations in life by making small, almost insignificant changes to everyday routines. I love that phrase. It might seem insignificant, but that could lead to something really big. That was the reason I wanted to talk to you, Linda, because I thought that feels a very refreshing viewpoint because so many people are struggling with overwhelm. Many people feel busy. Many people feel anxious and there isn't enough time. And I think that can easily lead someone to feel like, how could they possibly make a change? But what if a change was based around something so small and almost insignificant? And what if you could learn a method like yours to stack up things to a certain point where there's so many small things that they amount to something big. Beautiful. And that's the whole point, right? If we, the meaning, okay? So things are, if we tell ourselves that story or we place that meaning on something that it, it's huge, it's a big deal, right? I'm overwhelmed. And we catch ourselves in that moment and we hear the way that we're talking about it, even the emphasis on the word, oh my gosh, that's a huge task. Is it really? Whereas the way that we frame things and the lens that we look at things through, and I always use myself as an example, and this kind of like, I feel like I'm going around a number of different things here, a number of different parts, I think, to this. The first one is we can sometimes make an assumption about someone that where they are now, especially if they're successful, where they are now is where they've always been. Okay. And I use my running as an analogy in that. Okay. So people will often say to me, it's easy for you because you've run loads of marathons. Whoa, hang on a second. Yes, could I go out and run a marathon today? Yes, I could. Would I be injured after it? Chances are yes, because I'm not fully like match fit. However, if you met me 10 years ago, would I have been able to run a marathon? Not a chance. A mile would have been a huge push for me at that stage. Honestly, and probably because I was still smoking and whatnot at the time as well. <laughs> right? What I started doing was making the tiniest changes, tiny. Because what we need is we also need buy-in from our brain. 10 years ago, if I said to my brain, we're going to run a marathon, my brain would be, nope, that's a hard no from us. Thanks, Linda. Not at all. And now if I say to my brain, we're doing that marathon next week, it'd be like, oh my gosh, here she goes again. We better get ready. Fully on board, but it's like, oh gosh, okay. Fine. So it's those small things that we might take for granted because of the overwhelm, because of the fact that we think we should be doing more. Look at what everybody else is doing. And here's the comparison trap as well, where it's like, oh, hang on. What's a, even a tiny step forward for me right here, right now with what I know and what I have, what's a step forward for me? And doing that. That is such a powerful question to ask yourself. Speaking of questions, that might be the theme of our discussion today. The questions we can ask to make a forward momentum I'm curious with all of your work in psychology and well-being, 
Why do you think we focus so much on what other people are doing versus what we're doing? Why is it so commonplace and tempting to minimize our progress, the small steps that we're taking, because they don't look like the steps that other people are taking? It's brilliant. I love, first of all, I love that question of the questions and the title of the questions as well. Often we want to know where we fit in. We're more often than not, and maybe more often than we realize, we're looking for how do we measure up? And if we think of this like with a, with a reptilian brain, who's the strongest? Who's going to survive all of this shit? Who's going to win? Who's not going to be eaten today or attacked by a lot of something? And now, yes, we've changed and we've grown and everything else. But again, at that basic level is, how do I compare? And this, I can't remember where I read it before, but I love that thing of where when we walk into a room of people, we instantly do it. We're looking for, brain will look for a friend or foe straight away, even if we don't know anyone. Our brain will do that thing of that person, like for me personally, it's that person looks Irish. Go and talk to that person. Or I've heard that person over there, they're Irish. You have an immediate connection with someone. The same as if we're looking for a mate or any kind of partner in life. It's who do I look for? Who am I attracted to? And where do I feel safe? And oh my gosh, look at that woman over there. She's so tall. She's so beautiful and looks like she earns a million pounds a day. There's no way I'm going near her. I am going to stand here on my own because that's safer for me. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, that core need, desire to survive and feel safe socially. Maybe many of us don't feel safe in social situations. And that comparison is really interesting when you look at through that lens to find someone who's like you. It just feels to me, and maybe it's just a limited perspective and a a shift that I could make. But when I think of the comparison trap, I don't think of it as safety. I feel like it's the opposite where are people self-sabotaging themselves? And why would they want to? If our core goal is to feel safe, there must be some sort of level that unconsciously we're getting to. Like there, It may be not self-sabotage, but there's something that feels safe about not feeling good enough. Is that possible? Totally. Because I'm thinking of, about this in terms of my own path, things like that. It's so interesting where we find safety and what we find safety in. And it can be almost like that secondary gain. Right? So to, to, to anybody else, it's like, what is she doing? There doesn't seem to be primary gain to be had from that experience. But somewhere along the line, there's a secondary gain. And that's why we're doing the things that we do. And so if I can, the comparison thing, okay. So if I compare myself to others, but it drives me and it motivates me and it makes me want to do better, is that not a positive for me? Whereas if I compare myself to others and I end up in this negative spiral, but through that negative spiral, I don't know, I open up the bottle of wine, going off on a tangent here, but I open up the bottle of wine and all of a sudden I feel better about myself. This is great. I'm living my best life ever. And it's understanding, it's the awareness around the patterns that we catch ourselves in or the patterns that we can so easily fall into. And it's understanding because everything that we do, and I mean everything, serves us in some way, shape or form, it's not always completely obvious. So the safety thing, do I actually really want to feel safe? Is that my primary goal? But hang on, maybe it's something else. Maybe there's a higher criteria that I'm aiming for here. And it's so fascinating when we understand ourselves even a little bit better, then we can understand others better. So we can, I'm going off on a tangent. I hear myself. I find people fascinating. Well, you're in luck because I love tangents and always welcome. (laughs) You can go off in as many directions as you want and I will follow it. Because I even that is interesting, Linda. I will stop for a second to address that because I've often felt, let's see, self-conscious about going off on tangents. And last year, 2022, I just started to ask myself, what if I could just accept the fact that I speak in tangents. Just another thing for me is I struggle with being concise. I've trained myself, especially with on the podcast, to shorten things and not to go too long. Even as a coach, when I went through my well-being coaching training last year, one of my teachers said to me, you ask too many questions in a row. Just try to ask one question at a time. It's like, okay. And I was able to shift that because in that setting, I was there for the client. As you well know, Linda, like you have to keep a client focused. 
that seemed easy for me. But then I started to wonder in a personal setting, in a non-client professional setting, do I need to be concise and do I need to restrain myself from being tangential? When you started expressing that you were becoming tangential, what was the emotion behind that comment? Do you feel self-conscious like I do about going on tangents? It's funny because one of my greatest fears, and there's a, there's a number of them, here we go, is not being considered smart. And, and that's, there's a deep history there. And it shows up in a number of ways. And it's really interesting because my husband would always ask me to go to these table quizzes with him, right? And I would say no. And I used to go then like with friends and we'd do quite well or something. And he said to me one day, why won't you come and be on my team? And I was going through this phase of trying to communicate even better with him, right? Because I, I learned from a very young age that, and this is it's quite typically Irish, right? You don't talk about the uncomfortable things, Whitney. You just don't. You sweep them under the carpet and you leave them there and maybe somebody will find them someday and that it's their job, okay? So you just, you don't. And again, one of my strengths became very good at that. And so I said to him, I plucked up the courage and I said, actually, we were having a conversation one day and you asked me something, assuming that because I'm a history teacher, I know everything that has happened throughout history when I don't. And I didn't know the answer. And you turned around to me and you said, gosh, everybody knows that. And I said, and, and I was broken inside. It's one of the most, it was horrible. It was the, one of the worst things that I've experienced in when everything's relative, of course. And he said, my gosh, I had no idea that I said that. So that was a bit of a dumbass thing for me to say, wasn't it? And I said, yeah, a little bit. And thank you for the apology. But isn't it interesting what we carry? Okay. Because then for ages afterwards, I'm a voracious reader anyways, but for ages afterwards, it was like, I've got to prove myself to Steve. I've got to prove to Steve that I'm smart. Got to prove it. Because it's like everybody else sees it. Why does he not see it? It's interesting. It is. And I'm sitting here nodding because I can really relate. That is a big thing for me too. And it's really fascinating because at this point in my life, I generally do feel like people see me as smart and I'm like, I feel accomplished about that. And you're bringing up something that's really helpful for me, which is the connection between being tangential. For some reason, that's been, many people have reinforced this message that if you can't tie everything up into a nice bow and stay on track and stay focused, you must not be smart. You must not be this version of intelligent, which to me, I think of men when I think of that definition. It seems patriarchal. Like it, I think of some professor in a room who sounds really polished or a public speaker who says the exact quote words and everything just flows together. But it's interesting to examine something like that. Like what is it about being unfocused or going off on tangents, does that really have anything to do with intelligence? And I think I can add that to my 2023 reflection, thanks to you, Linda, is what if I can choose for myself what my intelligence looks like and not be so concerned? And what would it be like to feel okay with people not noticing my intelligence? I think that's part of the work too, is being less concerned about other people's observations. I can see why it would be very challenging though for your husband, your life partner <laughs> to maybe observe you as not being intelligent. That's a different story, what you shared, because that's a core person in your life and it must have felt hurtful for him to say something like that and how amazing that he was able to apologize for that. He's amazing. I'm not just saying it because I've been married to him for some time now. He's amazing in so many ways. And I've learned he has taught me so much as well. And the interesting thing is, I feel this is, we are tying this together beautifully, Whitney, right? With, I don't know, some gorgeous like little Tiffany bow or something, because it's the meaning that I placed on that comment, the meaning that I place on so much. And hearing what you've just shared as well, it's fascinating is I sit with one of my best girlfriends here. And we'll sit and talk for hours and then we'll start laughing. We're like, if anybody was to doodle our conversation, what do you think it would look like? And we'll just burst out laughing and she'll be like, or we'll interrupt each other at one point. We're like, Hang on, how did we get here? It's as if, what have we done? How did we end up here? We started talking about your promotion at work and all of a sudden we're talking about what? And so I think there's, instead of the judgment, if we just allow it to be whatever it is, 
And it's this kind of thing of how beautiful to have that mind where you go deeper into things and where it sparks off new ideas and different pieces of creativity and to have people in your life who you can share that with and go with. And I think context is everything, right? Sure, there probably is a time and a place to be more polished and eloquent and things like that. If you have to give a TED talk or someone's given you, you have to say something in 30 seconds flat, like your elevator pitch. But in a different context, when we take the judgment out and it's, let's just talk, see where it goes. Yeah. So that sounds so much better to me, (laughs) but it's interesting. It feels somewhere along the same lines of the comparison trap, the context trap, you could say, where we forget about the context of ourselves in different situations and start applying our fears to every situation without context. Oh, in general, I'm terrified of someone thinking that I'm not intelligent. And so no matter what context I'm in, I have to be really mindful of how I speak. But to your point, Linda, in certain contexts, nobody cares. In certain contexts, they're actually happy, just like me right now. I am happy to go on tangents with you, Linda, even though the context of many podcasts might be to have sound bites and to be concise and sound, quote, intelligence, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. On this podcast and with me as a host... I embrace the tangential. It's an example of how you don't have to be the same way in every single situation. But yet I think many people lose sight of that, myself included. They feel like they have to be, they have to look and sound one certain way in every sort of situation or they won't be accepted, perhaps. This reminds me of so much. And it's actually, this is only me. There's no judgment for people who do anything any different, right? It's like that authenticity thing. And a young person I was speaking with recently, I loved the way they put this because they said, I couldn't actually be myself in every situation. Now, straight away, my authentic self goes, oh, that's terrible. You need to be your, there needs to be some kind of consistency. And I said, hang on a second, let this person explain themselves. So I asked better questions. They were like, it's not, how helpful is it going to be? Could you imagine if you were my teacher and I turned around to you and I started speaking to you the same way as I speak to some of my friends? And I said, no, because I've heard the way you speak to some of your friends and that language would not be appropriate here. Thank you. So little things like that. But also, I think it's okay to share, expose, hide, reserve different parts of ourselves in different contexts. And I think of me with my parents, me with Steve's mom and dad. They're all fabulous people. and. Do I show up as my full authentic self every time? Every time, because would that be appropriate? So I like to think of it being authentically appropriate in this context right here, right now. What's appropriate for me? Because some of the language, I tell you what, Whitney, if I was to be authentic with everyone, I don't know how that would have gone down. But there you go. That's a really interesting thing too, right? Like the question of, should we be different? Should we show up differently differently? depending on the context and the examples you give, it sounds very logical. And then there's part of me that goes, wait a second, like, why can't we just be our same selves no matter what? Why do we have these social constructs and all these rules? And maybe that feels stressful to us as human beings to constantly be shape-shifting. I used to identify as a chameleon. I was like, oh, I take pride in being able to (laughs) shape-shift and be this person in this situation, but just like you're describing. But now I feel a little bit of a yearning to not do that, like a yearning to be the same person no matter where I'm at. And now this question, this point that you're bringing up makes me wonder about that. Can you be the same person in every situation or is it actually socially beneficial and important to shift a little bit depending on the context? What I think is, and again, this is only for me, right? I'll never speak for everyone because I can't anyways. At our core, right, if our core is strong and solid and we know what we're about and we know our purpose and our values and our beliefs, right, and that's where we are aligned. Once you have that kind of solid core, then I think there are other parts of, like I'm just I'm just thinking of other parts of my personality, there are other strengths that I will leverage in different situations. So in some situations, 
my strength of humour is going to be valuable and perhaps even influential in helping me get what I want. I don't mean that in a manipulative way, but in, in helping and other people get what they want as well. Whereas sometimes there's a, there's a maybe a cause or a need or it's going to be more beneficial for me to speak more seriously about something. So I know that if I walk into a company, if I walk into an organisation and I'm meeting people for the first time and the other person comes out and they start the conversation off and they're stern and they're focused and they're ex- incredibly professional. Is it appropriate for me to say, wait, I'll tell you about this great one-liner I heard the other night. Amazing. Really, Linda? So that's then, it's that whole appropriateness piece. Now, when we get to know each other better and we've built that rapport, then perhaps it's appropriate or it's helpful, it's beneficial, it's whatever it is for me to just share another piece of my personality and to then have a laugh with that person. That's about, I think, what serves us best in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And that sounds like a very simple point, but yet it's really worth reflecting on how each of us show up because sometimes we're not aware of it and it can contribute to a sense of anxiety or disconnection or lack of authenticity. I mean, authenticity is such a big word in the last few years and a lot of people yearning to be themselves and not compare and not look at what other people are doing. But I think what I'm getting from this conversation is that there are benefits to comparing. There are benefits to shifting ourselves, adapting ourselves. It doesn't have to be quite so extreme. And I think the biggest takeaway is it's just a case-by-case basis and checking in with yourself, being there in that present moment and that self-awareness, using that to guide you through these different scenarios. And I'm curious how or if this pertains to making changes in your life. Is understanding this about yourself a key part of making change? What comes up for me is the comparison on both sides of that as well. And I think it's, I think of my running again, okay, because it, for me, or just any other part of my life. And I remember scrolling through social media one day and sitting there totting. Steve says to me, what is wrong with you? I said, look at this woman. (laughs) He says, what am I looking at? I said, you're just looking at this woman who's absolutely ripped, right? And she's 10 years younger than me. Her marathon time is like 30 minutes faster than mine. And he just eye rolls and he says, okay, great. And he said, so remind me of this again, because she looks like she's, oh, he goes, oh, look at that. Running is what she does. That's her job. Do you want running to be your job? And I said, no, I don't want running to be my job. Thanks. It looks like spends a lot of time in the gym. Do you want to spend all that time in the gym? And I said, I know where you're going with this. And he said, exactly. So do yourself a favor. I'm like, my gosh, yes. So it's in those moments, right? That kind of comparison, not helpful at all. And in those moments, actually it is because you learn something from it, asking myself those questions of what's the purpose of this and how does that help or serve me? So what's the purpose of me looking at this photo of this woman and comparing myself to her, comparing like apples to oranges? And it's, I don't think there is one. Does it help or serve me? No, because I just feel really badly about myself now. So now what have I got to do next? So it's that context by context basis. What's the purpose? And even what am I learning about myself here and now? And it sounds like by getting that context, by asking yourself how something serves you, perhaps then you're more willing and able to make a shift in your life because you have the foundation built there. Like you have that self-awareness. I love that. Didn't even answer your question. I love that. (laughs) Yes. Right. So now that I'm more aware of myself, it could even be something when Steve says to me, is that something that you want? Do you want running to be, do you want that to be your job? And instantly I was like, no. But what if, what if I had said, oh my gosh, do you know what I do? I want to throw everything else aside and I want to take a year and I want to see how fast I can run. That's what I want to do. And I know for a fact she'd support me and he'd be like, okay, let's think about this logically as well. And then once we have an idea of what it is that we want, instead of what we have now, right, we've got that awareness and we know it's something that we want, even if we're not sure of how to get there. The very fact that we want it and it strikes a chord in us somewhere and it comes with some kind of purpose or there's some value about this that I'm really drawn to. It's amazing what your brain comes up with because then you can start asking yourself those better questions and your brain will go, oh, and what if you did this and what if you did that? Makes it sound easy, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's important to acknowledge. It's not necessarily easy. It's just a tool you can have in your toolbox when 
perhaps something triggers you, but it maybe in a positive way. Maybe it's like spinning something, a comparison into a question and saying, huh, like right now I'm looking at this woman who's running a marathon and I'm comparing myself to her. What if I pull from that these observations about myself and I ask some more questions and that actually leads me to the place I want to get to versus sitting here feeling awful because we're not at that place yet. Like you had said before of looking at someone and saying, wow, it's easy for you to say you are already doing this, but you have to backtrack and say, no, it took me a long time to get there. I had to take all of these steps. You're just seeing the results. I think part of that explains why social media can be so hard for us in our society is we're often just seeing the result of all the hard work. Not everybody shares all the steps it took to get there. It's almost like what we mentioned earlier, right, about you see someone where they are now and make the assumption, make a number of assumptions about it, right, that they've always been that successful if we're looking at them through that lens and that it's been easier for them. They've had something along the way that we haven't. They've had a helping hand or sometimes like to tell ourselves what it was easy for them. Because then if it's easier for them, we believe that, then it's harder for us. And then it's, of course, it's harder for me. So it's no wonder that I haven't achieved that. So that belief actually helps me. Here's the secondary gain part as well. If I haven't achieved something, of course you haven't achieved it, Linda, because it's harder for you. There's something so comforting about that. (laughs) It's like even just the reminder to give ourselves a break. And maybe going back to the questions that you and I've been touching upon, it's we can ask questions either directly to somebody instead of comparing ourselves. Like, how did you get there? How did you get here? How did you achieve this? And if we're unable to ask them directly, we could imagine the answers and just imagine ourselves in our shoe. If I want to run a marathon like this person I'm comparing myself to, what are the steps that I would have to take to run that marathon? And go almost going backwards from the results that we want so much. And that's not always as easy as it sounds. So one thing I'm curious about is how a lot of people know what the steps are. They've done the research. They've asked themselves the questions. Maybe they have a whole plan outlined, but getting started can be really hard. And even continuing can be hard after you got started. So how would you guide somebody through those moments where they know the steps, but taking them is the hard part? My first question is always, do you really want it? And I don't mean want it. In your heart of hearts, do you really want that? And it's interesting what people respond with. And especially around this time of year, people are still talking about goal setting, resolutions and everything else. Fantastic. So I've had a number of conversations with people. And what's actually transpired is I don't want that thing at all. And so what's there? Right? You now know that you, you don't want that thing. So what else are you figuring out about yourself? And it's like, do you know what? It's my family. Everyone else is married in my family. I think that I should be at this stage or I should have achieved this or I should have achieved that. Do I really want it? No. Do I want to buy a house? No. I said, amazing. What do you want? They're like, I just want to walk out of my job tomorrow. Gosh, did not see that coming. They're like, yeah, I just, I've had enough. That's what I really want. And so then what is it that you want? Because that's the most important part of it. You can find ways of moving forward. You can read all the steps. Okay. So is it what you really want? Another layer to that then can be asking what is it? Where am I standing my own way or what's holding me back here? For a number of people, they know everything about it, but they're so clear on what it is they have to do day by day, maybe even hour by hour. Fear, fear of judgment, fear of failure, fear of fear, 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 fear. What happens if I do it? What happens if I don't? If I start and I'm not able to continue because again, it's the continuing piece, right? And not that we fall into two categories at all. Sometimes a common trend that I do notice is People who find it hard to get started and then once they start, amazing, like they're on their way. Or again, not generalizing here, what's quite common is people then who struggle to keep it going because, and again, something that's common, it's not everyone that's around that, that envelops that piece is, I'm obviously not doing well enough. Where's my progress? You know, I started this six months ago, Linda. I know you did. I was there at the start. You know, so why have I not? There's a why questions and they bring up excuses and justifications and everything else. So it's that, that whole kind of cycle of it. But if we step back and 
take the judgment out of the way and the criticism and just say, I wonder what it is. What's there? Sometimes it's that critical voice then that raises its hand and go, hello, I'm here. I'm back. (laughs) And then what do you do? So let's say you've identified that fear. How do you address that? One of the things about fear is that it loves to be shrouded in this kind of mystery, okay? And it's, don't come near me, I'm fear. And so we're like, oh my gosh, yes, fear is over there in the corner. So we don't go near it. Brilliant. And we all know what it's like when we don't go near things and we don't talk about them and everything else and they swept under the carpet. What's very different is if you call fear out, right? And it's dear fear, <laughs> Linda Bonner cordially invites you to, I don't know, wine and, you know, something like at 6 p.m. So fear comes out and you're like, tell me what's going on here. So call it out. And I know this can sound a little bit woo or something. Think about it logically. It's a part of you. It wants something for you. And as soon as we call fear out, it's like, oh my gosh, some of the mystery has disappeared. What I found in myself in terms of fear is that it's that the what if. Sometimes it's not even fear. Sometimes it's a what if. What if this just doesn't work? And for often again, this is just myself. It's fear of making a mistake or fear of getting it wrong. So don't do it. Play it safe. Common theme in my head. Oh my gosh, yes, I'll play it safe. Because if I don't do it, can't get it wrong, can't fail. Boom, winning, but not really. To calling the fear out and having that conversation with it and get, and then it can be about getting support. Maybe that's through coaching. Maybe it's through a friend. Maybe it's through Googling something online as well. Just again, if you want to get past it, we've got to find ways of doing that. So beautifully said. It's such an interesting exercise. I think that you've given the listener so many questions to ask themselves. (laughs) Like we said, it seems like questions have been the big theme here. And just sometimes we don't know where to start. And asking a question to yourself can be a wonderful exercise at revealing the answers. And you can do this on your own. You can do this with a coach, with a therapist, a medical professional, someone who can guide you through it. Because it's not always easy or it can be so uncomfortable that we just avoid it. And this is something that you've touched upon, avoiding something. I love the metaphor, really, of the fear, the mystery. And I just immediately see this visual, this dark space and not knowing what's over there, but the way our heart might pound because we don't know what something is. And what if we have the courage to examine it anyways and realize it's actually not that scary. It was just the fear of the unknown that stopped us. But if we can find the courage to push through that, the unknown may not be scary at all. But I also feel like it's so important to acknowledge that's not easy work. All of these things can sound so simple, but as another theme you and I have explored today is just because it sounds easy, it looks easy, just because somebody else is doing it doesn't mean that it's going to be that easy for you. And it's okay if it's hard. Totally. And that's where, and it's all relative. So for some people, even the thoughts of sitting down and considering fear, that in itself is petrifying. There's no way I'm going there. For some people, it's a second layer, a second or third question. And the thing to keep in mind about this is it's a brain thing, right? Your brain will do everything that it can to protect you. Anything that seems scary or uncomfortable, you're going to go, oh my gosh, don't do that. And don't even think about asking yourself that question because you all know where that's going to lead. So just go and do something else instead. Read a book, turn on Netflix or go to the fridge, do something, but whatever you don't look at fear. But on the other side of it is if we do explore it and if we take again, just take it step by step. What I noticed about one of the pieces of my own fear was that actually underneath it was sadness it's the fear of, gosh, don't do that. And I'm so scared. I'm so scared of doing that. Okay, right now, if I call fear out, it's interesting that this whole visual or fear changed completely because originally it's this kind of all seeing, all knowing, I don't know, queen of something, right? And I actually call fear out, changes size straight away because all of a sudden it doesn't have all that power. What's underneath all that cloak and dagger is sadness. And it's myself, right? It's into don't do it because you've been hurt before and it hurts so badly. The potential rejection here is so high. Don't do it. And the secondary gain or like the, the positive intent behind that is you're happier. You're safer when you don't do that thing. So just don't. There we go. 
Thank you for sharing that. That feels so relatable. You're safer when you don't do that thing. Oh my gosh. I feel like so many people, if not most people can relate to that. And this is where that lowercase trauma comes into play is just all these little things that added up to pain. And there's a big association between rejection and protection. And sometimes we can look at rejection as protection, meaning like that's a sign not to do something. But other times, if we just acknowledge that we're trying to protect ourselves, we're trying to avoid rejection, but by doing that, we're stopping ourselves from actually getting to a place that serves us better. I think it takes a lot of self-awareness to get to that point. And that's where the questions come into play. (laughs) That's where the explorations come in. Just finding, having these realizations about ourselves does take a lot of deep work. And I think you have to be willing to do that work either on your own or with the support of someone who can guide you there. And I think that says so much about someone who's willing to do it, that willingness to proceed through something that could potentially be painful and scary. And how beautiful to come through the other side of it. And even if it's just a step-by-step, how amazing it is to then have this frame of reference that you can look back at and say, oh, actually, I remember when I did that thing and that was so hard and I absolutely nailed it. Amazing. Even the small steps can give us that other encouragement of actually, hang on, you did something like that before and look at you, you're still here. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And one of my favorite tools is to write down the small steps you took, like all these little things We have to train ourselves, many of us, to acknowledge even the tiniest accomplishments because looking at those can be so affirming and encouraging to your point. And a lot of us don't stop to think about it. It's hard sometimes even acknowledge. To have gratitude can be challenging, but is vastly beneficial. And it's signaling to your brain that you're making that progress, that Progress in itself is often what we're seeking. It's not even some specific goal. It's just the satisfaction of moving towards something can be even greater than reaching the destination. And so maybe just finding that joy in the steps and saying, hey, this is the good stuff. (laughs) I don't even care if I get where I want to go. I'm just going to really enjoy every little piece of progress. And you're awareness of that, your enthusiasm, the way you embrace this, Linda, has just brought me joy. I feel like this journey with you today has been absolutely lovely. I said from the beginning, just listening to your voice brings me joy. You have such a comforting way of speaking and just feel like you embody someone who's there to go through the hard stuff with you. Like you have this companionship element of you that is so lovely. And I would love for you to share with the listener if they're feeling the same way and they want to dig in deeper to your work. You were sharing with me about the well-being app that you've been working on. Where is that in, in its own journey? Is that available yet or when will it be? It is. So we've got Upstrive Education and Upstrive Business. And we created Upstrive Education for schools and students, first of all, because again, as a teacher for so many years and seeing how the young people that I was teaching just seen like their struggles. And that's not to say that every young person, again, is struggling. It's never a generalization. But I wrote my first book, Press Play, primarily to help young people as well in terms of a coaching book with skills, tools and techniques to help them overcome challenges. And a friend of mine said, your book is great and young people will want an app and schools could use an app. And I was like, I don't know about you, but I don't have $200,000 lying around or whatever it takes to create apps these days. I don't even know where my settings are for God's like, what? <laughs> the thing is, if you don't know, you don't know, but you can find someone who does know. So you can find someone who does know about creating apps and everything else. And Upstrive Education has gone from strength to strength where primarily based in the Middle East, because I, again, lived there for 15 years as well. But we've got nearly 30,000 students logging in every day, using Upstrive as a way to develop self-awareness around their emotions and what they're feeling, and also self-management. So it's not that, 
oh, I'm worried again today because the app tracks their emotions and gives them a little comparison chart and everything fun like that. And it's not about this a negative emotion or a positive emotion. It's, oh, look, I'm feeling this way. It's not good or bad. This is just how I'm feeling. And then it's like those questions that we asked ourselves earlier. Do I want to stay in this emotional state? Or would I like to be feeling something a bit more pleasant and more comfortable? Gosh, yeah, I'd love to. So what is it? What's just one thing? One thing that I could be doing differently. And I love, I've met with groups of students recently using the app and I love the way they talk about it. And it's one of the brilliant things about young people, Whitney, where I think sometimes, again, sometimes they, they get a bad rep. Whereas actually they want to know about well-being, they want to know about mental health. They're asking these questions and sometimes they struggle to find truth or their truth, right? And strong factual knowledge about maybe about things like proper mental health challenges, like eating disorders and anxiety. And even though Upstrive doesn't, we're not some cure-all at all. So even it's, hang on, you just start to look after your mind a little bit better and you recognize your emotions or you start asking yourself different questions and you recognize that, gosh, when I stop asking myself why, isn't it amazing what does come up for me? So I'm really proud of that. And thank you for asking. That is beautiful. And what an accomplishment to acknowledge the journey to just create something like that, but also the rewards of getting something out there and seeing it benefit so many people. It's really beautiful. And it's been such a wonderful experience hearing about your perspectives and your processes and everything that you've been considering to support people through this. I even love that term self-management. I don't feel like that's used quite nearly as much as self-awareness, which is part of it. But Many of us are looking to just manage our lives in a positive way. There's, I have a little bit of a negative association with the word management. It sounds rigid, but it is such a great word when you think about just managing your day for yourself to get where you want to be and managing to overcome the challenges in life. Thank you for sharing that. For the listener, I will link to Linda's work in the show notes. And there you'll find a full blog post if you want to go read for the first time, perhaps you've been listening, but you can go take in her words through the text-based form, which is one of my favorite things to do. I've realized I enjoy the combination of listening and reading to either simultaneously or separately just to take in information and process it. I've outlined that there at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And it should be there right in the read more section of your podcast player. So thank you, Linda, for discussing all of these things and all of this tangential beauty with me today. I've really appreciated the time and it just flew by almost as quick as your tortoise, who we didn't even talk about in this episode. <laughs> but I love how your tortoise is moves around so quickly, despite all of the preconceived notions I have about tortoises moving slow. There's a lot to be learned from those little animals, I tell you that. (laughs) Whitney, I've loved speaking with you today and I just, I would talk to you for hours. Really? Thank you so much. I feel the same. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.